take out your songbooks again, your Christian hymnal, and turn to number 448. As is the practice so far going through 1 Peter, I would like us to look at a hymn. This morning we're not going to sing it first. I would just like to read the lyrics to you and then we will sing it at the end. 448, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Firmly standing for the truth of his word. He shall lead you safely through the thickest of the fight. Ye shall conquer in the name of the Lord. Second verse. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, never turning from the face of the foe. He will surely by you stand as you battle for the right. In the power of his might, onward go. Verse 3. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, for his promises shall never, never fail. By thy right hand he'll hold thee while battling for the right. Trusting him, thou shalt forevermore prevail. Firmly stand for the right, on to victory at the king's command. For the honor of the Lord and the triumph of his word in the strength of the Lord, firmly stand. So let those words peruse through your mind as we look at the last part of 1 Peter. You may put those songbooks away. 1 Peter chapter 5. Before we go there, I brought Keturah's favorite storybook along this morning. So children, would you like to hear a story? Come on front, children, and why don't you find a seat in the center aisle here for something different. So go ahead, sit on the floor. Right here, sit on the floor, yes. Come, Jax. And there is pictures with this story, okay? Now, anybody ever read this book? Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. It's about a young man named Christian, and it's actually a children's version of a bigger book, Pilgrim's Progress. You ever, might have heard of that book, okay? There's a man in here named Christian, or maybe I should say a boy, and he's on a journey. Did you ever go on a journey? And I'm not going to read everything, but here he's climbing up a mountain on his journey. Do you get tired when you're climbing up a mountain? Yes. He got tired, and he got to the top, and he decided to take a break, and he fell asleep. Now, you will notice in his hand, he's holding a scroll. Before he left, he was told to take the scroll with him, and it was directions for him on his journey. Now, I would like to jump in here and read. Christian heard a voice in his dream. Look to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. He'd slept too long, and it was nearly dark. He panicked and hurried toward the top of the hill. Two boys came running down the hill. Christian called them. Why are you going this way? The celestial city is the other way. 
the celestial city is where he wanted to go. We tried to make it to the celestial city, they answered. But the further we go, the more dangerous it became. Big, ferocious lions were in the way. We're turning back. As Christian kept going, he wondered, if I go forward, I may be attacked by lions. If I go back to the city of destruction, that's where he had come from, I'd certainly die there. What should I do? What would you do if you were Christian? Christian reached to find the scroll he had been given. He couldn't find it. Oh no, where did he put it? Will the king let me in without it? Then he remembered the place where he'd slept. Maybe I dropped it there. I'm such a fool for sleeping so long when there was daylight. Now I may never find my scroll. But he went back, and guess what? He found it right where he had fallen asleep. Now Christian kept going, and he saw a beautiful palace and walked toward it. He hoped to find a safe place to sleep for the night. But what was in his way? Lions. There were the lions guarding the pathway. He wanted to run, but he was frozen in place. He heard a voice call out from the palace. Do not lose heart. The lions cannot hurt you. They were placed there to test your faith. If you stay on the narrow path, they won't hurt you. Christian continued with small steps. He was trembling. The lions roared and growled as he passed. But then he saw that they were chained. As the, at the gate, he was greeted by watch, watchful. Christian asked, Sir, what house is this? May I stay here for the night? This is the palace, beautiful, watchful answered. It was built by the king to help pilgrims on their journey. Christian was delighted. I knew the king wouldn't leave me on my own. He has helped me along the way. And then I'm going to jump ahead to another story. As he's continuing on his journey, he's traveling by himself. But then he meets up with a friend, a friend named Hopeful. Remember that. That's a key word this morning, hopeful, okay? He met up with Hopeful, and as they were going along, four other boys met up with them and said, can we come too? Do you think they wanted to let boys come with them? They said, sure, but the way is hard. And then they came to a man named Demas, and Demas was holding out coins. And he said, come check out the pl my place. I have a silver mine, and you're going to find good fortune. Hopeful said, let's go see. But Christian said, no way. This place is a trap and a snare. It, w it has hindered many pilgrims because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Demas called out again, come and see, it's a safe place. The four boys that were with him went to Demas, and when they got there, they fell over a cliff and died. But Christian and Hopeful saw the trap, and they went a different way. And the way they went was peaceful, down the path, beside water. And then they came to a place that looked like a shortcut, across the grass. And they went across the grass. What should have they done before they did that? 
They should have pulled out their scroll, but they didn't. And as they went along, the storms came. It started raining and thundering. And then, as they fell down, laid down to sleep, somebody came along. They didn't know they had fallen asleep near Doubting Castle. Christian was terrified. We're pilgrims. We're lost, and we didn't know better. That's no excuse for trampling on my grass, said Giant Despair as he came upon them. He picked them up and dragged them to his castle. Giant Despair threw them into the dark and dirty dungeon, and there they were. And what do you think Christian said? I give up. We're stuck. But what do you think Hopeful said? No, Christian, don't lose heart. The king will get us out of here. And it was almost more than they could bear. Do you see they're crying? Because they were stuck. And then, the next morning, Christian woke up. What a fool I've been. How could have I forgotten? The king left a key called Promise hidden here in my pocket. I'm certain it will open the lock to Doubting Castle. Christian tried the key, and it worked. Together they pushed the big door open, and then as they opened the gate leading out of the castle, it made a loud creaking sound, and giant despair woke up. Giant despair came running after them, but right when they were, he was going to catch them again, giant despair tripped, and Christian and Hopeful went on their way, and they found the path, and they stayed on it. So what is our two... Uh, boys here this morning, Christian and hopeful. That's your key word this morning. Remember, hopeful. You may go back to your parents. What's our theme as we're going through First Peter? A lively hope. In 1 Peter, a lively hope is presented. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And this morning, my goal for this passage in 1 Peter is I want us to see the need to be vigilant so that we can live with a lively hope. Be vigilant so we can live with a lively hope. How many of you want to be a strong, established, well-grounded Christian? Raise your hand if that, you want that to be characteristic of you. I hope all hands are raised. Strong, established, well-grounded in Christ. Go to verse 10 in chapter 5. The last part. After you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's where we're going to end up. But before we go there, we need to back up. To verse 8. little review before we jump in at verse 8. Remember, our theme is a lively hope. And the lively hope is that Christ died for us. And because of that, we have a hope of eternal life, and that causes us to rejoice. We have a desire to live a holy life. We have purpose because God brought us from dead stones to living stones. Again, there's an idea of hope throughout we looked at a life of submission. We looked at the married life and the legacy that we leave. We looked at suffering for doing well and fearing God in the midst of that. There is a hope amidst suffering. We looked at God's grace for you and for me. 
And what are we supposed to do with that grace? Share it. Share that grace. We looked at fire and facts of fire, and we are supposed to face the fire. And in the beginning of chapter 5, we looked at a team spirit. Leaders, followers, and our team cry is that of humility. So, that is where we came to. Peter is now at the end of his letter. Uh, quick recap, who was is th is this letter written to? Everybody pages back to the first verse. It's good to keep this in context as we look at the letter. Written to... God's people scattered abroad, strangers throughout. So this was not written to a specific church. This was written to Christians scattered throughout who were at this time facing persecution. So let, let's keep that in context as we continue to look at his letter here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same affliction are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanius, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I've written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And thus ends his letter here in 1 Peter. Backing up to verse 8. Before we jump in at verse 8, let's take a step back in time. And uh, when we, we had looked at one of the passages, we had looked at Peter's denial of Jesus. That is, that is a story from Peter's life that was very real in his mind. Let's jump to another story about Peter. When, Je when Jesus was ready to enter Jerusalem and said to his disciples, we must needs go into Jerusalem. I think it's in Matthew. What does Peter say to Jesus? Does he say, let's do it? He says, Jesus, time out. Are you sure you want to go to Jerusalem? Everybody hates you there. Life is better out here. We can speak to more people out here. So Peter thought he was doing Jesus a favor. How does Jesus respond to Peter? I rebuke thee. Get behind me, Satan. How would you like if you go give advice to a brother or sister? Say, I rebuke you. Get behind me, Satan. That would throw you for a loop. I imagine that unsettled Peter for a minute. He was trying to be helpful to Jesus, but it says he's rebuked. And Jesus was speaking directly at Satan in that scenario. Another time, before the denial, 
Remember Jesus pulled Peter aside and said, Hey, Peter, you're going to deny me later today. How did Peter respond to that? Absolutely not, Jesus. I'm going to stick with you. Okay, so that was the second of Peter's responses. Another time, now they're in the garden. They're praying. Jesus says, please pray with me. I'm going to go off and pray by myself. He comes back, and who does he rebuke? He uses the word Simon, Peter. He says, Peter, you're falling asleep? So again, Peter is rebuked by Jesus. And then continue on a little bit. When they came to arrest him, what did Peter do with his sword? Pulled it out, and he was going to fight for Jesus' cause. That's a good reason to fight, not? This is for Jesus. Again, he's rebuked, told to put his sword away. I'll tell you what, Peter went through a lot of rebuking. And I can just imagine those scenarios going through his head as he goes to pen these next verses. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. And so one last exhortation that Peter wanted to give his fellow Christians was this. Hey guys, this is serious. Be sober and be on the lookout. Be vigilant because you have an adversary. If you remember from my devotional at Revivals, we discussed the lion behind me and how I responded to somebody warning me about the lion. Brothers and sisters, let's be on the alert. As Christians, if we are striving for that perfection, being established, being settled in Christ, Satan doesn't like that. And he's an adversary who's going to come. He is looking for ways that he can attack. And so you see those two key words. Be sober and be vigilant. Peter calls us to be on the lookout. Why? Why do we need to be careful? Because we have an adversary. Do you have any adversaries? Maybe if we're playing a game, you might call somebody on the opposing team an adversary. But adversary is somebody who is out to get you for your harm or for your bad. So he says, beware the adversary, the devil, is as a what? How does he describe this devil? A roaring lion. And so we talked about the roaring lion behind me. Imagine a lion that is ready to pounce. Not so nice. Not so friendly. That is the characteristic of the devil. And I find it interesting at the phrasing that is used. The lion is not running about, roaring, but he's walking. How does a lion stalk its prey? Stealthily, quietly. So it's a hungry lion ready to roar, but he's walking. So he's not always going to easily be spotted. That's why Peter calls us to be vigilant. Take it seriously. Don't go through life haphazardly because he's seeking somebody to devour. And the first thing I want us to remember is recognize. 
Peter calls us to recognize the need to be serious or to be vigilant, to be on the lookout because Satan is out to get you. And we know Satan is out to get us, but yet it is so easy for us to become accustomed to the things of the world, whatever it may be, and we say, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, technology is not that bad. There's some good things in it, or whatever it may be. This book may not be that bad. Me going here, that's not that bad. There's some good in it. But if we do not have a respect for the devil, a healthy respect saying, ouch, he's out to get me, we're in a dangerous place. He calls us to be sober, be vigilant. And uh, just a comment on being sober and vigilant and, and the devil. Sometimes we go through life and the devil attacks us in many ways. But be careful that we don't claim every bad thing in our life to be from the devil. Oh, I got a flat tire. <laughs> the devil's trying to attack me. Or whatever it may be. That may be true. But maybe God is trying to show you something else. So don't just go through life haphazardly. Every bad thing is from Satan. God does use those times to show us things. Peter's simply saying, be careful. Be on the lookout. Beware. And the reason it hit me this morning as I was studying, actually, and the reason I used the story of Christian and hopeful, I find it so neat how they, they uh, put it into children's language, and actually Katora really enjoys these stories. But through that, we see many times Christian falling because he wasn't watchful, because he wasn't vigilant. Be vigilant. Next of all, verse 9. So this devil, beware of him. Recognize him. Number two, resist. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. So we have an action here in the word resist. Now how do you resist something? You fight back. You don't just stand there, oh, whatever happens, you fight back. Steadfast in the faith. What is the faith? The faith in God. Brothers and sisters, when the devil comes, we recognize it. And we know hard times might be coming or something we need to stand for. Sometimes it's easy just to sit. But instead, we need to resist. And in those moments, Satan tries to bring every lie that he can. And it is important that we are grounded in the faith. Not a faith, the faith of God. God's truth. And in here, time and time again, as Christian is going along on his journey, he refers to that scroll. And remember, he got to the lions, and he didn't have his scroll and he realized that was of necessity. Brothers and sisters, the word of God sharpens our keenness and awareness for the devil. And if we don't prepare beforehand, when we get to the moment, we're not going to have that faith. 
So be grounded in the faith so when you get there, you can remain steadfast. Remain in the faith. Secondly, a part of resisting is combating another lie. And what do we see? You are not alone. Resist knowing that you have a God who is behind you and resist knowing that your brothers and sisters are facing similar trials. You are not in this alone. The devil wants, to, wants us to believe that we're by ourselves. Life is hopeless. What I'm facing, nobody else is. My trial is harder than everybody else. That is a lie. And that is from the devil. The lion's ready to pounce, and he wants you to believe that lie. But Peter says, no, just remain steadfast. Trust God. Pull out your Bible and go to other brothers and sisters. They're facing the same things. So do you readily go to your brother and sister when you're facing a trial? Or do you try to face it on your own? And that's another beautiful thing in this story is hopeful and Christian continually combat each other and encourage one another. And it's beautiful. That's what the brotherhood is for. So resist knowing that or remaining steadfast in the faith and knowing that other brothers are being involved, are facing the same trials that you are. So how do we combat the devil? Recognize, resist. And when we recognize and resist, we are then in a place to remain. Third point, remain. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Brothers and sisters, we have a God of grace. There's hope amidst the trials. If you do your part in recognizing and remaining steadfast, resisting the devil, there is a God of grace who is ready to perfect you. And that's beautiful. That gives us a hope, our God of grace. Because his ultimate dream is to call us unto his eternal glory. His ultimate dream is to get us to the celestial city. Therefore, he's a God who extends grace. And he's going to let you suffer a while. Hmm. You ever hear the question, why does God allow bad things to happen? Yeah? It's part of the perfection process. So if those trials come again and again, and you say, I am, I am recognizing, I am resisting, remain there. It might be a repeated cycle sometimes, but remain there because it's just going to be for a little time. Did you ever see the analogy of putting your life on a timeline of eternity? It's just a little blip. It will soon pass. It will soon be over. After a little while, four things are going to happen. And this is where God wants to bring each one of us this is where we all want to be, and that is perfection, establish, strength, and settled. Wow! If I want four qualities to describe me, it's those four. 
to be at that place in my relationship with Christ. But that only comes after you suffer a little while. After you're willing to recognize and resist, that's when we can remain. And now imagine with me for a little bit, as Peter is penning these four words, as Peter looks over his life, and he remembers those times when he was rebuked by Jesus, when he was trying to help. I think Peter looked back and saw his life being perfected. And I can just see those stories going through his mind as he's writing the word perfect in Christ, not of himself. And then as he wrote established or established, meaning firm, not, not uh, wavering, I can see him almost picturing himself walking on the water. That moment when he was wavering. And Jesus went down and lifted him up and set him on top. Established because of Jesus. This is where Jesus is taking you through when you are recognizing and resisting the devil. And then he goes on to strengthening and maybe the story of the, all the fish coming in when they weren't catching anything. And Jesus says, oh, throw your nets on the other side. And their nets were full. They needed God's strength in that time. Strengthening. And as Peter's remembering this, this is where Jesus was bringing his disciples to. Strengthening them. That's where God wants to bring you to. That of strength. And settled. And maybe Peter's mind went back to the boat, the storm, and Jesus says, peace be still. And just like that, there's calmness. That should classify the life of a Christian, and that is that of settling. Peace. No matter what trial, there's peace. And these four things can come when we are recognizing, being vigilant, taking it seriously, when we are resisting, combating the lies of Satan, that's when we can remain, and that's when Christ can perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. And who gets the glory from it? We saw Gideon did a great defeat, and he passed on the glory. I think later on in chapter 8, they wanted him to become king. He said, no, 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 God is the king. Through your through your trials, brothers and sisters, who's getting the glory? God. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. That's why we exist. Not for ourselves, but for God. So, are you recognizing? Are you resisting? And are you remaining to end up at the place of perfection, established, strength, and calm, peace? So that's what Peter leaves us with combating the devil, Satan. And then he goes on, and as typical in any letter, do you, do you get letters anymore? <laughs> as I was reading through this, you know, this is a letter. This is an epistle. So Peter's writing this letter. And I had to think back to a couple letters I got. I don't, I don't get too many letters anymore. But you get to the end, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, they're hopefully going to say something nice to end it. So Peter comes here to the end. He's challenging them. He lets them with this exhortation to remain vigilant. And then he says, By Sylvanius, a faithful brother unto you, I suppose, I've written briefly. 
This gives the connotation that he had a lot more to say, but he kept it brief. And he did not do it by himself. Sylvanius helped him out. Another name for Sylvanius is Silas. We're going to come back to Silas here in a bit. And he says, exhorting and testifying. So Peter recognized that he's testifying because he has experience. He's also exhorting, encouraging the church at large that it is really the grace of God in where you stand. One tendency to respond to fighting the devil, it's all about me. It's how I resist. It's how I recognize. But no, Peter got to the place where he, remem- where he recognized that it's the grace of God. And when you allow the grace of God, the peace, the settling to come over you, that's when the power can come forth. That is where we stand, the true grace of God. Then he goes on, the church that is at Babylon, and was he actually in Babylon? Many suppose not. Many believe he was in the church of Rome. They think it was a, uh, a word to describe Rome. So he's writing from the city of Rome to the people scattered abroad. And I think Rome is significant because he goes on to say, I salute you, the church here does, and Rome was kind of the central hub of the day. And I salute you, and so doth Marcus, my son. What's another name for Marcus? Mark. So we have Silas and Mark. Anybody remember another time with Silas and Mark? I find it very interesting that Peter refers to these two individuals. And I think he's trying to get across to the church that there is a hope for teamwork. If you go back to Acts, Paul was on his missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas. And Paul Paul and Barnabas disagreed who should go with them. Barnabas wanted Mark to come along. And Paul says, no, 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 that guy's too immature. He's not cut out for the job. So they had a little quarrel, and Mark, Barnabas and Mark went on their way, and Paul and Silas went on theirs. And now here we have a turn of events. They all end up back in Rome. Silas is helping Peter. Mark is under Peter's charge, and it is believed that uh, Paul was in Rome at the time as well. And I think Peter had a little, he, he wanted to show the church something that there is, it is possible for restoration and redemption. There is hope to overcome personal conflict. And here he's saying, Silas is here, Mark is here, we send you greetings. We're together. And I think that's just a neat little snippet of Peter encouraging the church to continue to work together. And then he gets to the last verse. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. This is where everybody starts squirming. A kiss of love. I see a couple things here. Four other times it's mentioned in the New Testament. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and 1 Thessalonians. So five times in the New Testament, and it's very interesting. It comes at the end of the letter, and it says, eh, greet you one another with a holy kiss. A couple observations. Greet means to acknowledge your family. 
Acknowledge your brothers and sisters around you. Don't just pass them by. Secondly, we see here, so that was greet. Then we see a kiss. What's a kiss? That's a, 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 an affection, a display of affection. It's willing. It's from the heart. And then we see charity, which is love. So we see here acknowledging one another with the display of affection of deep, heartfelt love. So, greet ye one another with a holy kiss. Do we practice it today? Was that just a cultural thing from the past? Where Christian people love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's what Peter's getting at. It is but natural for them to salute one another with a holy kiss. And we get to this point, and this is one of those things that, well, it's an ordinance in the Bible, and it's, it's one of those where it's not practiced as much today. So does that mean it's still worth something? And I would like to pose that it is. A couple observations about it, and then a couple of my takeaways as we end the first uh, letter from First Peter. It comes at the end of the letters. I mentioned that before, at the different places it is used. It doesn't give specific direction. It doesn't say you should greet every time you see a Christian with a holy kiss. It doesn't say that. It says with love. Therefore, the holy kiss should come out of a heart of love. We can't list times where we should and should not use this symbol of love. But it's supposed to come from the heart. The word kiss is a very personal thing. It's a display of affection. Not dutiful, not out of duty, but of affectionate love. It's cheek to cheek. And when you have to get up close to somebody cheek to cheek, there's got to be nothing in between you. You are showing that you love that brother. You love that sister. And it's a very personal, and it's beautiful. And uh, husbands and wives, I hope you use this display of affection at home, and you do not do it out of a need of duty. You do it out of display of love to your spouse. And I think it should be the same way, in its place, brother to brother, sister to sister, as a display of love for your brother or sister. And also notice, it doesn't say, greet you one another with a holy hug. It's very specific in its wording. That's hard to get around. My takeaways, I think there needs to be a balance between the literal and the figurative. Figuratively, it means a display of love. So I can just hug my brothers from here on out. That's showing them I love them. That's a figurative approach. It's from my heart. A literal approach is every time I see my brother, I need to give him a holy kiss. That's literal. And I think Jesus, the apostles, want us to be somewhere in the middle, a balance. And I think if we're not willing to do or to practice the holy kiss, it might point to a deeper issue. 
Another takeaway, a couple practical things about the holy kiss. We don't talk about it much, but the practic- uh, a kiss, extend the right hand. Maybe I should call a brother up here to, to show how it's done. No, I, I, I'll refrain. Reach out your right hand, shake, and then go to the right side when you are going to give them a kiss. Yeah, it's kind of funny to talk about, but if we talk about it, maybe it can become a practice. Go to the right side, and it should be cheek to cheek. And in its place, it is beautiful and proper. Another challenge, I think communion is a time when it should be practiced, for sure. And a challenge I want to throw out there, I think it should be something that we practice at communion, and we are willing to do. Now the question is, do we do it every Sunday? What do you all think? Should we take a vote? I think if we took a vote, that we would be missing the heart of the issue. And Peter and the apostles put it in their letters to show, to encourage the brothers and sisters to show love for each other and to show a very personal, yes, I love you. So I challenge, pray about it. How are you going to practice this ordinance that is in the Bible? And now we could all stand after church and watch who does and does not give the kiss. Again, we're missing the point. Let's not go there. But I would love if it would be, here's my ideal. Communion is a time where everybody is practicing it. And Sunday to Sunday, it's a practice that we see observed. Not every handshake, no. But maybe the brothers that are close to you, the sisters that are close to you, acknowledging that you love them. I will let the Spirit speak from there. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. When we are in Christ Jesus, there is perfect peace. Amen and amen. And thus ends the letter of 1 Peter. Go recognize, resist, and remain fighting the devil. And may you be grounded in the grace of God. Go in peace. Show love to your brothers and sisters. Let's all stand. Take out your Christian hymnals. Number 448, be strong in the Lord. Let's sing verses 2 and 3. Be ye strong in the Lord and the power of his might, never turning from the face of the foe. He will surely by you stand as you battle for the right. In the power of his might, onward go.
Heavenly Father, it's with grateful hearts we come before you, thanking you for the God of grace that you are. And Peter here challenges us to beware, be vigilant for the devil. And I pray that we could recognize the devil and his tactics, that we could resist in the faith, knowing that other brothers and sisters are beside us, and that we could remain. And after a little time, you can perfect, strengthen, and settle us in you. I pray that we would go from here with a love for our brothers and sisters. Take us, go with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.